I am glad to be with you, with you this Sunday morning and to celebrate. To celebrate that like our king is risen. And I hope he is risen indeed. There we go. The other pastor is telling me, he's like, say he is risen and see if they'll all say he is risen indeed. So we'll try it again. He is risen. Awesome. So, uh, before I begin, we have been going through John, the Gospel of John, uh, leading up to Easter. And I'm going to use the scripture in John where it talks about the resurrection. And so, if you have your Bibles, you can turn to John 20, verses 1 to 19. It will be up here on the, on the uh, PowerPoint if you do not have your Bible. The empty tomb. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciples started for the tomb. Both were running. But the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked, at, looked, looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter, who was behind him, arrived and went into the tomb. He saw the, the stripes of linen lying, lying there, as well as the burial cloth that had been around Jesus' head. The cloth was folded up by itself, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went inside. He saw and believed. They still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had risen from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes, but Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, Woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. Woman, he said, why are you crying? Who is it you're looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said, Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet returned to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am returning to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. On the evening of the first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. When we were on vacation, uh, we were traveling uh, to our next location, and we were having this conversation in the vehicle. Uh, the bo- kids were asking us, hey, what is your favorite scripture? What's your favorite story in the Bible? And then they were telling us some stories that they know in the Bible. And I know you're thinking, like, wow, your kids are really spiritual. But leading up to this conversation, it was sandwiched between, like, Stories of farting and getting Evie to say things like, I love M&Ms. And so, they're still kids, but they're awesome. And so, 
They had asked one question, like, what's the funniest story in the Bible? And I was like, well, the funniest story has to be when the sleeping Christian fell down when he, while he was listening to Paul's sermon. And one of my kids was like, Dad, you're just like Paul. <laughs> I hope no one falls asleep during this sermon. And then Zion, the second oldest, he asks, what is the biggest? Right? This whole kid thinks, what's the biggest, most important story in the whole Bible? Tell me what it is. Tell me the best one. And I thought about it, and I was like, well, Jesus walking on water, obviously. But I didn't say it, because it's not actually. I thought the death and resurrection, this has to be it. This has to be the most important. Because everything else leading up to that point doesn't matter if Jesus doesn't die on the cross and is risen again. Then anything after that doesn't matter either. The gospel of Jesus doesn't mean anything if he doesn't die on that cross and then comes out of that tomb three days later. If the resurrection doesn't happen, his teachings, they're just like everyone else's. They're good, they're good ways to follow, they're good values to have. But the death and resurrection made his life different from all the others. The argument 40 years ago was this. Did the death and resurrection like actually happen? Like did he historically, did he rise and his body come out from the dead? When those people took the stand saying, yes, it actually did happen, they generally believed the rest of the Bible. They were followers of Christ. They believed it. He died, I believe. But nowadays that isn't the debate. The belief is this. Today, the assumption is not that there are natural laws outside of me forbidding the resurrection of Jesus. But there is a personal law inside of some people that says, I don't have to adapt my life to anything I don't find helpful. Or you could state it another way. People believe truth for me is what I find acceptable and what I find helpful. So people generally believe, yeah, he's risen. The day still happens. We celebrate it. But then people don't believe the rest. People believe him as the risen from the grave and can accept that, but don't accept the truth. And don't accept him personally as an everyday part of their lives. But the truth is this. The truth for all of us, the truth for everyone, everybody here, or some moment in your life, is that we're just like children scattering our yard for Easter eggs. You and I are on a hunt, or have been on a hunt. We all hunt. Our thirsty souls, they have rummaged, or they are rummaging right now, looking through every nook and cranny of this world in search of a shiny pleasure, a sweet delight, looking for something to satisfy the soul. Every joy seeker, everyone that's searching or has searched in pursuit of treasures that will not fade or rust or break or be stolen must pay careful attention to this day, to Easter. Not with a nod off to the sermon type paying attention, but with a real, earnest, eager attention riveted on this story. If we miss the significance of the resurrection, we scamper past the greatest joy in the universe. This is not just another day. This is the day. The day he is risen. 
for you who are searching for that joy, today is the day. What does the resurrection mean? What does it all mean then? Last week we talked about Peter. Peter's a character in the Bible, and he was in this story we just read. And some of you, he's like, he sometimes he provides entertainment value, as I like to say. He is like that friend you have that you can sit back and watch because you don't know what they're going to do or say next. Some people think it's me. For me, I say Dan Rogers. <laughs> as you read the stories of Peter, though, he provides insight to us. Insight about who we are. Insight into how sometimes we see and feel things. We see Peter and another disciple racing towards the tomb in this story. Peter is in the lead, but in typical fullback fashion, he can't go the 100 yards. He gets passed. He gets passed by the one who has said that Jesus loves. And this guy is John. And John gets to the tomb. Before he gets into the tomb, he stops and he sees that the stone is rolled away. Then Peter comes. And Peter does not stop. Peter brushes by John as he continues right into the tomb. Peter reminds me, I coached uh, rally cap, which is like t-ball, uh, baseball in Saskatchewan, if I can say Saskatchewan, last year. And we had this one kid, his name was Tucker. Tucker was not coordinated, but he provided much entertainment value to baseball. And so he would, the ball would be hit on the outfield and he would just play around with it, try to throw it, and then it wouldn't happen. And I was like, Tucker, I was like, if you throw the ball in right away, because once you get the ball back into the infield, the runner can stop running. I was like, I'll do a handstand. And so I've never seen a kid pick up the ball faster and throw it back into the middle of the field with such accuracy, nonetheless. And so he looks at me, he's like, coach, you got to do a handstand. And so in the middle of the game, I come out and I do a handstand. But then at the end of the inning, he comes running in. He says this statement, I'm coming in hot. And so when I think of Peter, I think of Peter coming in hot right into the tomb. And it says, Peter came in and he saw the linen cloth. The word saw here is thero. And this is where we get, is a Greek word where we get actually our meaning for theater. So this means that Peter saw the cloth and he took a long and careful look. So he got in. He just kind of, you ever see the stories where they just kind of, and you're watching a movie and they have this gander. That's what I'm picturing of Peter just gandering at, at the cloth, just like puzzled. Then John comes in the tomb. And it says, he saw and he believed. And the word saw here is blepo, which means like a simple seeing. He came in and he simply saw and he believed. It's like I walk into my house and I see there's a pair of size 40 pants and shirt on the floor. I simply see and I believe Jude is running around the house in his underwear. Oh yeah, I remember him talking about how he wanted to be free and not to be hindered by his clothes. There they are. Then Kim walks into the house and she sees the clothes and she, she ponders, she thinks. Why are there a pair of pants and shirt here? Who didn't pick up their clothes? She stares at them and wonders why they're here. Who placed them there? What happened to the body that they're in? And I'm like, Kim, remember when Jude was talking about running around 
in his undergarments. And she is like, oh yes, and she believes. This is just like the statement, except not Jude. At this moment, Josh saw and he believed. Everything he had heard about Christ up to that point, it just came back. Boom, he saw, he believed. He's the king. He said who he, this is who he said he was. It's true. It's all true. Here is what Peter is showing us. Here is what we can take from this. Jesus said, was who he said he was. Now, who did he say he was? You're like, who is he then? Who is this? Who is Jesus then? He is Savior. The resurrection makes it true. He is Messiah. The resurrection makes it true. He is the bread of life. The resurrection makes it true. He is the light of the world. He's not of this world. He is the great I am. He is the good shepherd. He is the world overcomer. He is the son of God. He is the great teacher. He is the Lord. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the light. Life. He is perfectly revealed God. He is a king. He has all authority. He is the judge. All because of the resurrection. This is we can now hold true. This is who he says he is. This is the God that we serve. He is life. If you're looking for life, he is life. If Jesus really rose from the dead, then Jesus was who he said he was, regardless of how maybe it contradicted Peter's perceptions. In Acts 4, Peter gets into this uh, interesting argument with a bunch of academics and theologians. And they were saying that there was no way Jesus could be a Messiah. No way he can be. Because of X, Y, and Z. And all the smart people of that day it, it, it agreed. It couldn't be true. It can't be. But Peter answered them in Acts 4.19. He said, whether it is right to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. We cannot but speak of what we have seen and what we have heard. In other words, look. He's saying, look, brothers. We're not saying we're smarter. You guys have more degrees. But on the other, on the other hand, we know this guy who came back from the dead. And no offense to you. He is coming back from the dead. Trumps your degrees. Trumps what you think. He is alive. Jesus, he could have left the tomb any other way, right? He could have just left it. He didn't have to roll back the stone. After the resurrection, right, he appeared in verse 19 in a locked house to his fearful disciples. He didn't open the door. He appeared. He was there. The stone didn't need to be rolled away. It was rolled away to show that he was alive. But also it was rolled away so others could enter in. Now that you see that I am risen, come enter in and receive the new life that I have for you. The tomb is inviting them in to relationship with him. It is inviting them in to life with him, saying, come on in. And then Peter, he, he entered the tomb. He was still just a little bit puzzled, a little bit like, what's going on? For you, Maybe out there today, if you're a little bit puzzled, you know that he is risen, you believe it, you come here on Sunday, but you have all these questions, 
It's okay. It is okay. Enter in and follow Jesus. And as you enter new life with him, as you enter new life with Christ, those unanswered questions will begin to be answered. And this is the reason it is called faith. This is how it worked for me. I grew up in a Christian home, knew Christ. But there was tough questions I had. Why are these terrible things happening? Why is this happening to my family? They serve you. They love you. Then someone challenged me. Do you know that there is resurrection power? And even though you might know, not understand, do you believe that he is God? And can you still follow him? I was like, I can. I can. And I will. My favorite definition of faith is faith occurs when the unexplainable confronts the undeniable. You have questions that you think are unexplainable. You're like, I don't know if they can be answered. The resurrection is the miracle, however, that is undeniable. Faith is not having all your questions answered now. It is wrestling with the unexplainable knowing that the unexplainable has an explanation on the basis of the resurrection. It's a miracle that we can follow, that we can hold on to. We see Peter also. He, his past now no longer defined him. And 1 Peter 1.3 says, Through the resurrection, we are born again into a living hope. 1 in verse 4 that is kept in heaven for us. There are two things in there that totally change how we see ourselves. One, born again. Two, living hope. Let me start with living hope. Your hope is whatever you believe gains you acceptance before God. That's your hope. Most people believe that God's acceptance of them is based on how good they are or how well they keep the tenets of their religion. And that may work fine until you fail. Like Peter. And then you start wondering, like, how good is good enough? The gospel is this. Is that Christ earned our acceptance in our place. He paid the penalty for sin. He lived the life and died the death that we were supposed to. The resurrection now is God's declaration that he accepted Jesus' payment on our behalf. In the resurrection, he declared that Jesus' payment for us was sufficient. It was good. And now Jesus stands alive by the throne of God. He is alive by him. And he testifies to that. That's why Peter says, I have a living hope. Not just a hope, a living hope. It is alive and it sits with God. And it's kept in heaven for us. It's safe. The living Jesus stands there as my acceptance into heaven. Whatever the, whenever an accusation is brought against me, a reason I should be rejected from God's presence, Jesus says, I paid for that on that cross. Most people in our culture believe that all religions teach the same thing. They're all the same. They all have the same premise. Our hope is not in how well we live, but in Christ who took our place. It's not in me. It's on Christ who took our place. So in the resurrection, 
in the resurrection with Christ, I now have a living hope that is no longer based on me. And furthermore, Peter says, in the resurrection, I am born again. Which means God has started the process of new life in me. New life now. The power of the resurrection turned Peter, a Jesus-denying coward, into Peter, the rock of the church. That is the same power that can work in you. And we see this as we talk with people. The church in general is filled of stories who have had the most tragic mistakes. Maybe they were on drugs. Maybe they were unfaithful to their spouses. Maybe they were kicked out of school. Maybe they cheated and deceived to get where they were. Maybe they've spent time in jail. Some were filled with bitterness and racism and hate. But God changed them. Not because they were decent people who needed a second chance, but because they were dead people whom he now made alive through the resurrection, through the acceptance of him. Do we feel like sometimes you're too messed up for God to be interested in you? That your mistakes are too severe? Maybe the things that you've done are too bad? God breathed life into a dead body. He breathed courage into cowardly Peter. He breathed love into, into murderous Paul. When you believe, he will breathe new life now into you. A new life, a new hope. Resurrection power. The last thing, as we see through the cross, is this, that our future is secure. Peter says, through the resurrection in 1 Peter 1.4, we now have an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. One of the things you learn as you get older is that everything spoils. I'm starting to understand this. Riches, things t like 10 years ago, like when I thought this is so cool, this is so awesome, it's going to last forever, doesn't. We see our money, it's not the same as it was 10 years ago. Phil, he just sold his home in England, and it, after the fall of the market there, it, he had held on to it for nine years just so it can get back to where he would make, like, just break even. Riches, they spoil. Maybe you have money set aside for your kids. Maybe they've spent it already. Health, I thought I was a physical specimen. I could drink two liters of Mountain Dew and then play four hours of basketball and then wake up the next day and feel fine. If I did that, I would explode today. <laughs> My health is not the same. It's perishing. Some of you understand that. Family. I can't take, like, crazy uncle. I can't hold on to him. You don't have one? Maybe you're the crazy uncle. We can't hold on to my, I can't hold on to my family. They're going to move. I can't hold on to, to their life. I can't, I can't. We know how fragile it is. We see the fragile, how fragile it is. Bertrand Russell, who wrote, Why I'm Not a Christian, said that as he neared death, the darkness that I have always feared is finally overtaking me. There is no justice. If you happen to be one of the ones whom fortunes fill with tragedy, you have, 
You just have to live as one of the losers. Listen, not with Christ. He gives us hope that this life is the all-encompassing life we are called to, but that there is hope after life here. It is unbelievably better than anything we can ever experience here. His resurrection shows that there is life after this life. And it is so much better than what we experience here. I don't want to live like I'm just one of the losers. My life stunk. Faith, it has a starting point. It has a basis. And it is the resurrection. The resurrection tells me that Jesus is who he says he is. Savior, yes. Messiah, yes. Bread of life, yes. He is the way, the truth, the life, yes. The resurrection tells me this is not just a big fairy tale. That he is making me into someone new and he is coming back for me. When Luke wanted to, to summarize the apostles' message, he chose one word, resurrection. It covered everything. It said everything it needed to say. This is real. This is not fake. This is not a fairy tale. This is not something that we just hold on to that makes us feel better. This brings us hope, love, life, and joy. I am a witness to the truth of the resurrection. For those who are hearing the truth and it is resurrect, or resonating with you, you're hearing this and you're like, this is resonating with me. I've been searching. I've been like that kid on an Easter egg hunt. This is your day to accept that Christ has died and raised from the grave for you. That he is alive for me and I want him to be alive in me. The resurrection shows us we can be confident in Christ because he will accomplish all he had promised. It shows us you can have confidence in him. The things of this world, they're going to perish. Maybe you've started to see it. Maybe you've started to feel it. We see that his bodily resurrection shows us that he is the living Christ, not a false prophet, but the ruler of God's eternal kingdom. We see in the resurrection, it shows us that we can be certain of our own resurrection because Jesus was resurrection, was resurrected. Death is not the end. There is future life after this. The divine power that brought Jesus back to life is now available to us to bring our spiritually dead selves back to life. This is for you. The gospel, the resurrection, there is hope. The things will perish. He will not. He shows us when he came back from the grave. For those who know Jesus, you come here every Sunday, you hear this message. Maybe it's been like, it's my 30 years I've known Christ now. For some of you, longer 50, 60 years you've walked with him. You've heard this message. You've come to the services on Easter Sunday. And you're like, resurrection life. This message should never, ever, ever be old. This is my favorite message to speak. Out of anyone through the 52 weeks of the year, I would speak this 52 times if I was allowed to. This never gets old. 
It should never be tiresome. It should always ignite you. It should always inspire you. It should always just, you should just go home feeling like a million bucks. Like you've been, like, I feel like I've been kissed by Kim, but 10 times better, 100 times better. It's so much better. But for us who have heard this so many times and we know Christ, I want to echo the statement my wife said three weeks ago as we preached together. Many of us have made him Savior, but what have we let him be Lord? This isn't to poke. This is to reflect. Have we committed to following him deeply? It's a statement we need to recognize every week, ask ourselves every week. Have I made him Lord? Am I letting him direct me and lead me? Because with that commitment, it has a responsibility. We have accepted him as Christ, but we've still been given a challenge and a charge, and this is it. Matthew 28, 18 to 20. Jesus came near and said to them, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, Spirit teaching, teaching them to observe everything I've commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. Before he left and he ascended, this was his charge. It's called the Great Commission. It is the ultimate point of why Jesus came. That this good news that Jesus lives, Jesus loves, and Jesus saves should be preached to all nations. This is what we need to recognize why he died. Now that we know and we accept, this is what he's calling us to do. I'd just like to close. And in closing, I'll invite Julie back up and we're going to pop a picture back up here. There's this journey that we're all on. We see at the cross here, and somebody didn't just accidentally leave their bag and their hat and their water bottle here, didn't clean up after themselves. That's not that that's for. As I mentioned, we're all searching. We're all on an Easter egg hunt. Some of us have already journeyed to the cross. We've looked at it and maybe we've walked away. Some of us have already journeyed to the cross and we've accepted it, and now we are still on the journey as we move forward. Some of you are presented with the same thing today. Maybe you don't know Christ and you're presented with the cross again and you're going to make a choice. Do I follow? Do I not? For some of us, the cross reminds us that there is still a, there is still a plan that needs to be carried out. The Great Commission is still upon us and we have a responsibility. I'm going to pray. I'm going to be down here at the front. If you've heard this for the first time, or maybe the second time or the third time, or maybe you feel like you've walked away, you want to accept that resurrection power into your life, come down, see me. I will pray with you. Or come see me after the service. I will for sure talk to you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that the resurrection is, man, is the story that we can cling to. That it says everything that you have ever said about yourself is true and we can trust in you. 
that after this life, there is life. And is substantially better than even the best of best lives that we can experience here. Lord, we know that this message should resonate, resonate with all of us in some level. And we pray that, and I pray that we leave here changed. Thank you, Father. Amen.